0: art of business? The creative side of our brain and the business side of our brain may seem like two separate entities, but they are actually interconnected and complementary. The creative side of our brain can bring fresh and innovative ideas to the table, while the business side of our brain can turn these ideas into practical and profitable solutions. By tapping into both the creative and business side of our brains, we can find a balance between risk-taking and practicality leading to more success and fulfillment in both our personal and professional lives. I'm Katherine Lang-Klein, entrepreneur and creative person, and in this podcast, we will hear success stories from people that are doing exactly that, and hopefully giving you ideas of how you can too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Secret Art of Business. Today, my guest is Dante Woodspikes, so I would like to welcome you, Dante, to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh,
0: We had met at an event and had a great conversation um, regarding the arts and kids and uh, just everything about art and all things like that. So I'm like, you've got to be in my podcast because I think that um, you are very much a catalyst for a lot of people. So if you could, tell me a little bit and my guess about what you
1: do. So... What was interesting is, and as we begin to talk, I'll I'll talk about how I ended up where I am now. Um, A lot of things that I'm doing as of now, I had no intentions on doing. I did not believe that I would be doing it. But what happened was uh, something inside of me just started pulling in in directions of wanting to tell stories. So I consider myself a storyteller. That's what I say. But um, I'm a videographer. Uh, Photographer I facilitate conversations Um, There's some things going on in the city right now That you could could see Um, Educator Um, I've worked in schools And something I do is work with children On a consistent basis And I also happen to be an author So it's a plethora of things But I've been able to Bring it all to um, One term And I consider that to be a storyteller Where I go to different spaces and I tell stories to people and I listen to the stories they have. I take those stories and I share them with the world. Oh, I love Simple that. as that. I love that. Yeah. Um, but that's it. What is your book about? So my book is about my experience as an educator in the school system. In particular, it's about during COVID. Um, so when COVID came, the discussion and conversation was, what are we going to do with our children? Right. And that was definitely a discussion that I felt should have been had all the stories that I share within the book are actually things that happened before COVID, but they relate to the conversations and questions that people asked about what are we going to do with our children after COVID? My whole point in creating the book is to show that I believe COVID created the conversation Mm -hmm. that we should have been having for a long time now. Um, conversations such as poverty, um, making sure that we're prepared to work with our students no matter the circumstances. These are things that have been going on for a while, and I feel like now that we have the the vehicle to discuss those things through COVID um, and the pandemic, the book is the next step where there's a physical manifestation of it where we can look at it and say, these are the stories of our children in the city of Columbus, Ohio. And not only Columbus, Ohio, but possibly all throughout the nation. These are the issues that our children face. How can we come together as a collective, address it, and figure out what those next steps are to make sure that if anything like this ever happens again, we'll be prepared for it. And you bring up a really interesting
0: conversation just in that when the pandemic happened, I remember because I had a daughter in school the first thing they said, okay, everybody's going to be at home. And so everybody's going to log in on their computer and we're going to do classes at home and not thinking about in full that there were not, not everybody had a computer at home for one. And then not everybody had internet access for two, either because they, it was not either in the budget or it was not in the infrastructure at all. I mean, there were people like in rural communities that just did not have, you know, reliable internet service. And to your point, yeah, uh, we have to get everybody up to speed on this because, you know, people can say whatever they want about how everybody has a cell phone or a smartphone or whatever, but it's really how business is being done right now. That is how society works right now. And if we are not basically getting people the basics like water and electric, you know i mean i would put i would put internet servers up in that category um we're not serving everyone so i love that you're Great. talking about that now it's like yeah we can't that you know surprise that was a mistake you know we were kind of caught a little off guard with that let so let's learn from that but um no okay knowing that some of the like, some kids were kind of left behind in that regard or they had a slow start as they were trying to scramble and you know do school in parking lots that and using the Mm -hmm. McDonald's internet or whatever um which by the way that's pretty freaking resourceful moms for the ones to to do that uh but um where what's the status of kids right now the ones that you know did have to have that struggle because we've been reading now a lot about how you know reading levels are down uh truancy is up you know things like that so can you talk a little bit about that
1: well what i can say is like a lot of the issues that happened during COVID already existed right. and it's been exacerbated because of COVID. And as of now, i trying to get back on track and say, all right, we learn different now. We've had a break. There's some children that, um, you know, as they were transitioning to the next grade, that's when COVID happened. So they missed a lot of fundamentals that they needed in person to understand. All right. This is the transition from fifth grade to sixth grade, or this is the transition from eighth grade to ninth grade. Now I'm in high school. So it's been difficult not only for the students, it's been difficult for the teachers, too, because now they have to readdress the curriculum. They have to take their lesson plans and rearrange it. And um, some of the environments I work in where they're dealing with a teacher shortage Now, teachers that may not have all the ideas and preparedness to teach a certain subject or topic, they're needed to be in those areas. So now they have to kind of school themselves again to relearn. Okay, I'm a math teacher. That's my specialty. But I also have skills in a different area, but I haven't tapped into it in so long. So now teachers are reteaching themselves. Mm-hmm. Children are learning in ways that they never learned before. So um, and there's a, once again, there's a shortage of teacher. Some spaces, there's a shortage of funding and a shortage of support. So you see that there's all those layers that constantly contribute to why there's a difficulty for children to get back into that space where they're above par on reading level. They're above par with math, with science. With social studies, all of the traditional academia that we provide our children, they're struggling with it, and it's not just in one area; it's in multiple areas in different districts. So um, I would say they're slowly getting back to where they're they're figuring out how to make it work, but there is an epidemic taking place where it's a struggle for everyone—from the student to the teacher to the parents um, to people that had dependencies and connections with each other when the pandemic happened it threw everything off so they're, they're working on it it's it's being worked on and people are trying to figure out how are we going to make this work
0: okay if you feel good about that then i'm going to feel good about it <laughs> because that is something that
1: i think about it I mean, well <laughs> it's a long conversation <laughs> it's a long conversation i'll say that um My hope is that every level of um, contribution from administration to teachers, to parents, everyone can find a collective agreement so we can work with our children. I'll be honest that as an educator, sometimes I felt like administration could listen or support in different ways but there's so many layers to connecting with administrators or the person that can get the ball rolling um the person that can make the change that has the connection with the uh, people that create curriculums we we have to like j- jump through so many hoops go here, there, 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 and by the time it's brought up uh two or three years have passed and we got a whole new issue on our hands yes. so i I feel like there's a lot more work that could be done. I can say that. People are trying, but I, I have my own idea and vision on what I believe should happen.
0: Well, my two cents, and it was not asked for, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Is-
1: <laughs> give me your two cents. Look, I got 98 cents. I need that two cents to make a dollar. Um, all right. Uh, give, give the schools all the money.
0: Whatever they ask for, give them the money. That is my two cents, and I will preach that mm-hmm. forever. Because for many reasons, one, you want to be in a great school district. I don't care if you have kids or not. Um, for a couple reasons, is because that will make your. If If you want to do it for purely selfish reasons is it's gonna make your property more valuable and you get to be surrounded by a bunch of really smart people. So if you don't right. and I'm like I said I'm just speaking to the selfish here. If you don't, then you're gonna have low property values and a bunch of stupid people living around you. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, you have to give right. the money to the schools and give, give teachers the space to teach too. But that is something that I am, oh, I'm such a fighter on. And that's why I said, if you feel it's good, then I, I will feel much better. Cause I, um, as you probably tell, do not like to back away from a fight and something that I really believe in, but I can't fight all the fights. So as long as we got well, front, then I, I can feel a little better about that.
1: I, I so here's my my theory. Um, I believe that the education system was set up so long ago and the way it functions and works is not completely compatible with the times. We have different forms of learning technology and understanding each other and communicating as of now and we have to be able to catch up with the times. Our children digest information very quickly. And for me, a person that works in multiple environments, I see one environment may need much more than another environment. Um, the schools, such as uh, like public school systems, the issue that they have is not having enough funding. And I question when it comes to allocating the funds, The system that we're in has been done for so long one way and they believe, well, this is the way we have to do it. This is what makes sense. And eventually the money will trickle down. It'll make it inside of the schools and we'll try to equally disperse all the funds. But when the people that are inside of the classrooms, the people that have worked with children and the people that are trying to let it be known that changes need to happen, if they're not being heard and things aren't happening, but you come into the classroom and you ask them, well, how are are the students performing? Um, Are they doing good? Uh, What are the test scores? Oh, we're not doing good. We got to do better. Well, I'm letting you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is what I need. This is what our environment needs. This is what our children respond to. Our children don't always respond to a curriculum that was created by a person that may not know about our children. So, and I'm not trying to make enemies out of anyone that um, creates curriculum as mm-hmm. administration. But there's an honest conversation that has to happen when it comes to saying this is what we're going to do with our students, our children in our schools and our teachers. But if you don't ask them for their input and it's not taken into consideration, when we're creating the next year's lesson plan or curriculum, then we're going to constantly have those issues where our children will struggle time and time again. So I believe that there needs to be um, a, a serious effort in talking to each other. Because when people feel like they're not heard, that causes people to say things a lot louder. And when they say things a lot louder, (laughs) they can look like they're being disgruntled. They're angry and frustrated and they're not thinking. But if I'm the person that's taking on the blame, if I'm the person that's trying my best to work with the students that that are given to me and no one hears what it is that I'm going through or no one understands the space that I'm in, that is not a good feeling. And people are going to begin saying what they want and how they feel and what needs to change. And until that change happens, we're going to begin to have those issues on a much more frequent level. I, I am supportive of our teachers and our educators and the people inside of the schools that are doing what they have to do to make sure that our children can succeed with very little. I can talk about this all day. <laughs> I'll say, I'll end with this when it comes to the the schools. I have a very deep admiration for educators and the work that they put in. I am more interested in the arts than I am traditional academia. But I understand that academia is needed to make it through society. It's the basic and fundamentals. Teaching that to someone That may not comprehend it immediately is a challenge. I pay much honor and respect to all educators that will go to a building for hours on top of hours and teach young people what it means to just have the basic fundamentals in life. That is not an easy thing to do. So I have much love and respect for all educators.
0: We could have probably an entire podcast talking just about just the awesomeness of teachers. To be perfectly honest, and you oh, had
1: oh, yeah. a, a few. It's 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 a it's a long conversation have
0: about that. <laughs> And maybe we will plan on that sometime, um, and bring some teachers in and Let's just tell them to their face that they are awesome. <laughs> and you know what do you need? You need a microwave. We'll get yeah. you a microwave. Um, <laughs> um, but I, you had said a couple of things I thought that were really super powerful that I kind of want to put a fine point on. And I want to do that because I think it it really applies to all kids. And I think sometimes people um, think that what you're talking about is really segmented and it, and it truly isn't. And the one thing was, is that. Um, and, make, and I want to make sure I heard you right, that ultimately the way that school systems are set up right now is is very dated, kind of, we'll say antiquated, in how it's done and how the curriculums are set up. And we have to look at kids as a whole, how they learn is different than they did 50 years ago. And I think that is uh, really, I mean, regardless of what your upbringing is, you know, we have all this new stuff and kids just learn and respond differently as a whole that we have not addressed. And that really goes back to that whole online learning and stuff like that too. I mean, how many people have learned stuff from a YouTube video? You know, you didn't have to go to a classroom to learn how to change your oil you could just plug I mean, because learning is different now and we have not really addressed that across the board. Um, and the other thing that is, is a great segue, and the whole reason for this podcast is about how people in the arts learn differently than the people, the left brain thinkers versus the right brain thinkers. And there is no wrong way. It's like we all just have a strength. Like you, you might be your right-handed versus left-handed. You might be a runner versus a jumper. You might be, a, you know, or a swimmer or something like that. We all have um, different muscles, different strengths that we use differently. And how we learn is very, very different too. And I, uh, you know, obviously subscribe to this whole, you know, whole brain thinking. And as a, a young person, I was told, you know, you're in the you're in the 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 creative category. You are a creative person, and that I guess means everybody else is not. Um, but that really kind of stymied anybody who was even remotely. I mean, just because you can't draw literally does not mean you're not a creative person. You're not a right brain person, you know, and that learning style had to had to change. And people are more people will learn both better, both visually and, you know, by listening and looking and things like that. And so there's that whole that whole spectrum of how we should be teaching people and really identifying how somebody learns better. It's like, you know, well, Bob learns better like this while Sally learns better, you know, so just really kind of drawing that all out and not so much making it immediately people think like it's individualized, but let's just look at that a minute. Is there a way that we could kind of specialize it and not throwing away that way we always taught versus, you know, how do we, how do we make this a little more adaptive for people that learn differently? I guess.
1: I, so in the book that I wrote, I spoke about a child that was artistically gifted Mm Mm-hmm. And when I say artistically gifted, this is in a neighborhood that is considered poverty stricken in one of the many schools that people may drive past every single day. A child is sitting inside of this building that is artistically gifted beyond measure every day, every five minutes, he's producing a drawing that is extravagant. But the environment that he's in, um, the expectations of what he may be able to do with his life. um, And the emphasis on, once again, traditional schooling and education says this artistically gifted child. We see him, but what can we do with them? We don't have anything for him. That really bothered me. And. We have resources and we have um, people that come to the school for children that have special needs um, or children that have gifts and talents. And we tap into that, but we always go right back to academia. Once again, it's very important. A person such as myself as a child, I was not academically gifted. At all. Um, I could comprehend well. But I have a very hard time taking information, processing it, and saying it back to someone. It's, it sounds simple, but to me, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Like It's like when a test came, I'm like, is this a trick? It's like, okay, everything you taught me, you want me to say what you taught me and then say it back to you. But don't say it the way you said it. But say it the way I you want me to say it on the test. And then you grade that. And then give it back to me and say, well, you did good here, but you didn't do good. What are we talking about? (laughs) What are we doing? My brain has a very hard time comprehending in that fashion. I have friends and people that I know that can do that well. I did not tap into my understanding of creativity in gifts and skills until about six years ago. I'm 33 years old now. I'm I'm bad with math, like I said, academia. So I, don't, I can't remember how long ago that was when it comes. <laughs> but I can't do the math on it. I tried to do the math in my head, you know what I'm <laughs> but what happened? Everything that I dismissed, everything that I said, there's no room or space for me to actually try to do these things. I dismissed those things at a very young age, and they usually happen when I was at school because I conditioned myself to believe if I can't get A's and B's and I can't pass this test and I can't go to college and get a degree, which is all great. But I felt like that was the end all be all of my life and my existence. Once I tapped into understanding, I had artistic skills And I could use that to monetize um, opportunities and chances for myself. I was a little bit upset because if I believed in this much sooner, if I understood that I could do this much sooner, I cannot tell you what I would be doing right now. I'm, I'm happy that I went through the process to better understand how valuable my gifts and my skills are. Um, to have to dig myself out of holes, to have to pull myself up when I thought I didn't have anything. I had to depend on my skill and my artistry to do that for me. But I wish that I knew a lot sooner. And my goal is to work with teachers and to also support young people that have gifts and skills that may not be able to get tapped into at that young age because there's so much going on. The least I can do is remind people that it is okay to be gifted in different areas and it is okay to tap into that skill or gift and use it to your benefit uh, for the rest of your life, for your education, whatever it is. Use that however you see fit and make time for it, because nothing hurts worse than looking back on your life and thinking about, man, I, I, I love to sing, but I never sung before. I love the paint and draw, but I, you know, painting and drawing is more so for people that are famous and real good. The compare, you start comparing. In school, they don't care if we compare ourselves academically. We're still going to do it. They should give us that opportunity with art. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're good or not. We're going to give you a chance to explore what that's like in your lifetime and however you see fit or whatever makes sense to you. Once you go through this process, you get to decide. And I believe we'll have more people invested in the arts, in their own personal skills, if we were able to implement that into the school systems and into spaces much more frequently. And I, for teachers, um, I understand that they have so much on their plate already. That is hard for them to do multiple things. So I, re- I want to try to figure out how can we support our teachers because they already got enough on their plate. They do. So I really want to figure out how can we support our teachers with that so they can handle what they have to handle without feeling like they have to do more than they already do.
0: Well, I, I'm done here, Dante, because that was everything I was going to say. No, <laughs> <It> was like,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was so spot on of everything that I'm trying to preach here, and I love that it is from your perspective because you hit on so many of the different notes that. And um, I, I, I know people are out there and they're thinking like, you know, what I did love singing, and then somebody told me you're not gonna, you're not good enough to make money at this, so buckle down and learn math. Um, you are and you you were considered an okay artist but expression in art is is just and you can't really judge that it's it's just what it, it's your expression but people told you to stop doing that because that's a waste of time. You, you should probably go back to looking at the science books and I think that message applies to everyone. Everybody has been told that some more than others, and it hurts the most when you set when you were talking about that you know that one child that's in that one house that is super excellent, and they're like you know what that's great, but what are you going to do with that you know, and it is it, that's just incredibly heartbreaking because they if if nurtured they could be so amazing. And and based on how that child could learn, too, I will fully disclose that I probably would not have gone through some language arts if I did not know every single word to Schoolhouse Rock. Because, you know, an adverb Who remembers what that is? But if you sing the song, I can tell you exactly what it's about. Um, All right. So with all of this in place, and that was, like I said, that was incredibly powerful. I want to know, what did you do as a child that was fun and creative? And I'm hoping you're still doing some of this. But um, could you um, just go ahead and do a little storytelling on what you did as a child?
1: So as a child, I was very quiet and reserved. And once again, like I said, I didn't tap into my creativity until I was older. Mm -hmm. So as a child, all I had was my imagination. I would imagine myself being a football player. I would imagine myself being a basketball player. I would imagine myself knowing how to draw, even though I wasn't the best drawer. <laughs> you know, I, I would imagine these things because living in an environment where the things you're dreaming and envisioning doesn't always happen. You have to rely on your strong imagination. And luckily with my imagination, I was able to hold on to it. Um even through you know depressive stages. Um, stages trying to find my identity. Where do I go? What do I do? When do I feel like I'm succeeding? Going through all of those things, um, it gave me something to do later on in life. It's like you put all this stuff in a box and you tape it up. You put a lock on it. Put it inside of a safe. And you're like, I- I- I'm gonna just keep it there. I'm never need it, but I'm gonna just keep it there just in case. Once I became older. I opened up that safe, uh, took the tape off, and looked at all the things I put inside Mm -hmm. of that box. And I kid you not, um, there have been moments where I broke out into tears because something I thought of as a child that I wrote down or something that I drew or something I talked about, it's relevant this day. And it hurt. It felt good, but it also hurt to know that I let that go and I had to find it again in a completely different time in my life. And that goes back to what I was saying about, man, we have some gifted people at a young age that have tapped into something that they can do. But if we don't have the space or we don't have the resources or we don't make the time for what they're gifted in, they're not going to be able to do that but i i with my imagination i've always loved to tell stories i didn't know how to do it um and what happened was um i had a teens group that i started not um around 2012 started a teens group and i'm one of the young men in the group was unfortunately murdered when he was murdered i watched the news I did not like how the news told the story. They didn't talk about the positivity within the group, and it upset me a lot. So what I did was purchase a camera. I didn't know how a camera worked at the time. I know you press start, a camera start, you press stop, a camera stop. (laughs) I wanted to record the boys and give them a chance to tell their stories and have intimate conversations. Did that. And that slowly turned into creating short documentaries. Through that, um, I was presented the opportunity to speak at TEDx. I don't have any speaking experience. I ain't never been in those speaking classes. I don't have a speaker coach. But someone saw my ability to tell stories and said, Dante, this story belongs on a TEDx stage. And I was able to tell a portion of that story and other portions of my story on the TEDx stage, just because I tapped back into my creativity. As soon as I tapped into it, so many opportunities started to come up. Then I became an author and I'm also um, facilitating conversations and hosting conversations and being an educator, invited to come into different schools and different districts and be trusted with young people to show them, this is what it means to tell our stories from our own personal experiences and lives, and use that to create some type of change that we're hoping to see.
0: I love that you do that because, again, children aren't given the opportunity to think about something creatively like storytelling, and that's a very simple way to get started. Um, it, it, you know, get digging into your creative side. And the other thing I always tell people too is, you know, when you're taking notes, doodle. You know, you stay engaged. It's amazing how well you stay engaged, but you're also starting to draw again. And you're starting, you know, so it's, it doesn't have to be these big sweeping movements to to retap back into all this creativity. You can do little things or just like sing when you cook or if you go to church, you know, really sing loud and don't care how bad it sounds. But if it brings you yep. joy, just do it. Um, so with all of that said, uh, what are you doing now with the arts? Or, or something creative that kind of still keeps you, keeps your whole brain going?
1: So something that I'm doing now, um, all the things that I've, I've shared from the, the video photography speaking and whatnot, mm-hmm. what I'm looking to do now is begin creating my own um, time and schedule and programs versus um, waiting on someone to say, hey, Dante, we have an idea. Um, could you come in and, and speak on this? Or Dante, this is a video we want to work on. I'm realizing that if people have interest in me and see that I'm valuable and I have a gift, it might be time for me to start digging into my own you know, personal ideas and visions and say, this is what I have for you. Um, and I, I would always be open to people reaching out to me. But once you start to to realize that you have some value um, and people see that you're gifted, you want to have something for them that they can say, this is what we want to work with. Um, I've been collaborating with different creators and teachers. Um, So one of the programs that I did create, I created with an educator at Upper Arlington. Um, It is called Voices of Empathy. And what we did was we had different districts come together um, and have the students talk to each other and also teach them about narrative storytelling while also teaching them how to actively listen. Because we can tell our stories, but if we're not listening to what other people are saying, we can miss out on vital information that could help us produce our stories much better. Um, And another thing with Voices of Empathy is um, the voice of advocacy. So when we speak on behalf of other people and we want to work for them and support them, we have to make sure that we do in-depth research and we also have to listen carefully to make sure that if we're in spaces where people may listen to us and we have access to, that a community or a per- person does not, we want to represent them the best way possible. We don't want to put words in their mouth We don't want to say things that they wouldn't say, and we want to make sure that they have a fair chance at being seen and um, not uh, written off or forgotten about. So we make sure that when we're telling someone else's story, we are doing it to the best of our ability and with permission and understanding of who this person is that we're advocating for. So Voices of Empathy is something that I'm traveling to different schools and doing as of now. Um, and I'm also working on my own personal project titled Empathize With Me. Um, you may have seen some of it or any, something of that nature, but that's also storytelling. But it's more so just about the personal narrative, um, having interviews with interesting people just like you're doing right now with me so you're 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 part of empathize with me right now (laughs) but um and to also have discussions about things that we think about all the time but we don't always make time for and doing it with a very empathetic approach where it's me and you it's not me versus you how even if we have deferring feelings and opinions how do we take those things and figure out how we're going to create something from that and make it work for us in the future
0: I, I love all of that because I definitely think that we need to listen to each other. We need to have deeper conversations and we need to, you know, really make changes for you know, positivity in this world. And I think, you know, that's all of that is going to be just a catalyst for what you're starting to do, which I think is freaking amazing. I mean, I think you're amazing. I could probably talk to you for another hour. This is so great.
1: <laughs> same, same. This
0: is so great. So I will look forward to you at, at, look for you at the next event. Um, but for now, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this has been just such a great conversation. I think it's exactly what a lot of people need to hear that, you know, tune into this and that, you know, they, they have that creativity. It, it is painful when you don't tap into it and you're kind of be, you know, forced to, I don't know, I, I feel in a way like getting to, like in survival mode, because you're like, oh, I got to get a job doing something that I may not like because I have to earn a living. And, but this is what I really love. And you can kind of be on the dock and the boat at the same time. If you just kind of go back and revisit some of those things that you love, you know? So yeah, it's, I, I, I love this conversation so much and I cannot thank you enough.
1: So me. we got, we got to do a part two. Cause I have like so much more <laughs> stuff to respond to, but I, I will say that, um, I appreciate you creating this space because we're referencing back to what I said about being a child and putting all of your ideas in this box and pushing it away. Um, once we become older, it takes a lot to open that box back up because we know what's inside of it. Oh, yes. And we feel like, man, it's going to be a lot of work to get this back out. Mm-hmm. I appreciate people like you that provide the space to remind us That is okay to open that box back up. It is. Um, Some of us as adults still have the child inside of us that is scared and uncertain and fearful Mm -hmm. until we find somebody that can advocate for us and say it is okay for you to succeed. So thank you to you be a boys. grown
0: person and still have hear those yeah. same voices in your head that when you were a kid mm-hmm. saying, you know what, don't, don't, no, don't waste your time on that. And you're like, oh, I, I really want to do this, but do I have the time? Can I, can I gift myself time for myself? Because we're always worried about taking care of other people. It's like, you know, what this, I have to do for me, but you have to understand that that is going to make you better for everybody else. If that's, if that's what you're going to lean heavy into is like I have to do something for others, do this for you. So you can help others, you know, it, it'll only make you stronger. Um, yep. so yeah, that's, that's going to be our message. Everybody get out there and tap back into that creative side and, or do those things that you always wanted to do when you were younger.
1: Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And thank you for having me. I I really appreciate you.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. The Secret Art of Business is supported by Portfolio Creative. Portfolio Creative is a recruiting staffing company specializing in finding marketing talent. Go to PortfolioCreative.com to get started in finding your next marketing person or your next job. We are experts. We are creative. We are good humans. Please subscribe or follow this podcast to get the latest episodes. And let me know if there's someone you think of that would be a great guest on the show. Here we can build a community that believes creativity and drive can work together.